0: The Spot Track Podcast,
1: talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic. With comprehensive coverage and insightful analysis built around your favorite teams and leagues, The Athletic delivers everything you need on every sports story that matters. For access to the stories at the heart of the game, use theathletic.com slash spot track and get forty percent off your first year subscription today. That's theathletic.com slash spot track. Fun little show today. Happy Thursday morning. JJ Watt's official with the Arizona Cardinals. I have what I believe is the correct breakdown. <laughs> let me let me let me preface that. Uh, look, the reports came out about the signing bonus, the cash flow yesterday. The base value of this contract. I guess I'll just break it down a little bit for you here. So, you know, what I have on on spychart.com is 99% confirmed based on the reports that were out there. I kind of did the math myself. There could be some roster bonuses in place of base salary. So there's still some confirmation to do there. But, uh, you know, I wanted to get the cap figured out as much as possible as we lead up here, really less than two weeks until the actual real free agency starts of course jj watt was a street free agent so he was able to sign prior to that march 17th start date so here's what we have for jj watt it's 28 million base over two years so a 14 million per year average salary still high that that's you know if i said he was worth 12 when the the day he was released which was just still what i believe you know a 14 million million dollar base is still an overpay so arizona had to really kind of had guns blazing to get to bring him in. It's a $12 million signing bonus, 20 million fully guaranteed at signing. That's the important number. Okay, so that means that not only is there some guaranteed money next year, but the cap has some flexibility. So here's how it breaks down. He's getting 14 and a half cash this year, but the cap hits just eight and a half million. So, I mean, it was 17 and change on his previous contract with Houston. You know, he was never going to stay on that. Um, and Houston had about, excuse me, Arizona had about 18 million to work with, uh, on the 185 cap leading up to JJ Watts signing. So he burned about half of their available cap space to put it lightly. That, that cap number jumps to 19.5 million in 2022 and five and a half million of that 2022 salary is already guaranteed. That could be a roster bonus. Some sort of compensation next year is fully guaranteed. That's how the guarantee net signing sort of breaks down. Another three million of that salary will kick in next March. So, you know, they could get out of him, get out of this contract after one year. They'd have to pay him five and a half million cash if they release him. And uh, you know, there'd be about eleven million of dead cap, eleven and a half million of dead cap. But that's still eight million saved. So there's a bit of an out next year, but it would come with a cash payment. So good, strong stuff from him. This is what I expect for a lot of te- a lot of free agents this offseason. Um, if they like the team they're signing with, you're going to see this kind of two year structure um, for, to allow cap flexibility in year one. If it's more of a rental piece, you know, if if a free agent is signing, you know, for instance, Tyrell Williams has signed with Detroit. I'm guessing he's not thinking long term Detroit right now, but to see as a one year flyer. To go and hook up with Jared Goff and uh, you know a couple of uh, the Anthony Lynn reconnection by the way, perfect one year deal, huge incentive base. I, I'm guessing that's got of a base of around three or four, and it can get to about six million with incentives. That's really going to be what we're going to see the most of. That kind of deal right there. JJ Watts is a bit of a, a, a heightened deal, right, because of the money that was brought in. So because there's twenty million guaranteed. They really couldn't front-load all that in 2021 and make it cap-friendly enough to fill the rest of the roster out like we talked about last show. I mean, there's seven miles to feed in this defense. So you knew his cap number was going to be somewhat contained. It's eight and a half, really nice number for Arizona. And he still gets $14.5 million cash this year. There's also three, minute, three million of incentives built in based on sacks. Um, basically, he's got to get 10 sacks in any year. He gets 10 sacks this year He gets a million dollar bonus and we add a million dollars to his 2022 salary. He gets it again next year. It's another million dollar bonus. So there's your three million of not likely to be earned incentives. And of course, there's a no trade clause, which every superstar should be going for in the next iteration of their contract negotiations. So it's a nice deal. It's not 15 and a half a year yet, it's 14 a year. And it's eight and a half million on the cap this year for Arizona based on what we are reporting. So, one and done with the uh, with the big free agent contract. There's plenty more coming, of course. And unfortunately, the the releases are here. Um Cal Van Noy out. We mentioned that one. Henry Anderson out. The Jets. Uh, you know, the Raiders have started to cut parts of their offensive line. Gabe Jackson's out. Trent Brown, the starting right tackle, is likely out. They're trying to move him via trade, but the numbers are probably too rich to move on from via the trade. They're, they're going to wait out a release. Any team that's interested is going to wait out a release here and try to renegotiate with him. Um, like this guy made $37 million over the past two seasons with the Raiders. This was a big, big contract. And, you know, there's 14 we made this year, 15.25 next year. None of that's guaranteed. So the writing's on the wall. There's no question about it. But Gabe Jackson, his line mate, already off. Uh, the Raiders have made a couple of moves like this, and and this is you know Kyle Rudolph out in, in Minnesota. He's going to sign quickly. He's at the back end of his career, so that's not going to break the bank. But it's coming, and, and and with it are a lot of question marks. So for instance, the Kyle Van Noy conversation really sparked some some violent Twitter <laughs> Twitter work to the point of how could this guy get released after one year when he had thirty million dollars guaranteed on his contract? So. I actually wrote a quick piece in our new spots section on Spot Trek. So it's spottrek.com slash spots. This is just going to be like a, like a little mini blog where when something comes up that's quick and dirty, instead of me just tweeting it and putting it into a hundred characters out there for you, I, I want to have something a little bit more stable that you can turn to. And Scott, Scott will be doing the same. He's got a couple of NBA pieces up here as well. Uh, compensation for the all-star game, things like that. But, when questions come up on twitter good ones you know that that i uh, i immediately want to answer but also maybe want to expand upon i'll start throwing them here and i'll start linking those out so the, the one of the recent ones that i re- i wrote was in light of Kyle Van Noy's situation why guaranteed money isn't always guaranteed it's because not all guarantee equals guarantee unfortunately <laughs> you know the nfl is nothing if not ridiculously complicated so i'm just going to quickly go through the bullet points of what i wrote to sort of verbally try to put out there the options that exist. Uh, I just broke down JJ Watt for you. And, and I mentioned that the $20 million guaranteed signing was the number to, to, to look at initially. That's where you start, not the AAV, not the total value. It, let's start there. And, and generally, that's hard to get early. So you're only going to see, you know, two years 31 million, you're only going to hear 23 million guaranteed, you're only going to hear 15.5 million per year it's fine. Those are the initial reports, but it's, it's almost never the actuality of the contract. Almost never. You know, now I have the numbers. Now we know it's 14 a year, 28 total value base, 3 million incentives, 20 million guaranteed at signing. So that's the layers that have to be kind of peeled away to get to what really matters when we're talking about the stability of the contract, the actual structure of the contract. So J.J. Watt, $20 million guaranteed at signing. What does that mean? It means all of his salary this year, that $12 million signing bonus, and $5.5 and million of next year are fully guaranteed the second he signed that pen. So if he's traded, it, that $20 million stays. If he's released after week six, right, maybe his career just takes a complete disaster turn and... They no longer want him. Obviously, not likely, but if that's the case, twenty millions in his pocket. Okay, the only way that guaranteed at signing is not a hundred percent guaranteed, and I want to make this clear because honestly, there's nothing written in sharpie here. It's ninety nine point nine percent fully guaranteed, except if that player is suspended for conduct, you know, domestic violence, conduct detrimental to the league, the team, PEDs, drug abuse. Um, you know, the, the basic major suspension categories that are basically built into every single contract structure. So if they're popped for one of those big issues, base salary guarantees can and do void. So we saw this with like a Leonard Fournette. We've seen this over the past couple of years with, with some, some suspensions, even in rookie contracts that have voided future base salary guarantees. That, that would apply with guaranteed at signing money. So if J.J. Watt's $20 million, if he if he's popped for PEDs, that five and a half next year, if the language is in the contract, the five and a half million guaranteed on next year's salary could void, which means they could walk away with no cash paid after 2021. Also, he would lose the money, you know, for the games missed due to the suspension. They can also recoup salary signing bonus. Same situation, that $12 million signing bonus, even when it's paid, they can recoup a portion of that based on the proration of it, if, for instance, he suffers a non-football injury after 2021. So he he finishes the season, J.J. Watt, he goes skiing with his brothers, tears up his left leg, can't come back and play in 2022, kind of a forced retirement. They can recoup the $6 million of proration of that signing bonus in 2022 because he suffered a non-football injury when he had a contract with the Arizona Cardinals. Um, there's language, of course, that can stop or block this, but generally the language is pro-team here, protecting the team and insurance policy essentially for the team in the event that something happens, unfortunately. So guaranteed at signing is 99.9%. He's going to get it, except for those small little exceptions that I just laid out, non-football injuries, suspensions, etc. So, what about the 23 million guaranteed we heard right off the bat? Yes, there are 23 million of guarantees on JJ Watts' contract, but only 20 are fully guaranteed for cap right now. Okay. The 3 million that kicks in next March, right? If he's on the roster March, probably 20th ish, another 3 million of 2022 salary becomes fully guaranteed. Right now, it's only injury guaranteed. So, if he suffers an injury in week 15, a bad one, an ACL, an Achilles, something that's going to force him to not be able to pass a physical in the 2022 league year, that $3 million would automatically kick in. It would convert to full guarantees. We just saw this, by the way, this past season with Odell Beckham Jr. Odell Beckham tears his ACL late in 2020. It's very, very clear that he's not going to be ready at the start of the league year in terms of his health. And he had 12.2 ish, I think, of his 2021 salary, injury guaranteed. You know, it, it would have vested into a full guarantee, I believe, March 19th, but it was injury guaranteed at the signing of the contract. So because his injury would have carried him into 2021, that 12 million automatically is considered full guarantee now. So you can't release Odell Beckham Jr. Without paying him twelve million off that twenty twenty one salary right now. That's the example of the injury guarantee built into the total guarantees. So as of right now, 20 million fully guaranteed, three million injury guaranteed, but you know, it's likely he's gonna see that three million. It's likely JJ Watt plays out these two years of this contract and sees the twenty-three million guaranteed total. So it's it's complicated. There's a lot of variations. Um You know, there's a lot to it. So why do we call them practical guarantees on the website? Because we've got total guarantees, guaranteed at signing, things like that. Let's break down Patrick Mahomes real quick to to really understand the most complicated version of upfront versus future guarantees. Um, You know, there's no more complicated or long-term contract in the NFL than Patrick Mahomes. It's sitting here on 13 years or so. Only. 63 million was fully guaranteed at signing. Okay. A $10 million bonus, a bunch of base salaries, a big roster bonus this year, which is definitely getting restructured and a big roster bonus next year, likely also getting restructured. Um, All of that was guaranteed the second he signed the contract. The buzzwords you heard with Mahomes was guarantee mechanisms, which I sort of just laid out, but I'll do it again here. What does that mean? That means in 15 days on March 19th, 2021. Patrick Mahomes 2023 salary 5.5 million and 2023 roster bonus 34.4 million become fully guaranteed 2 years down the road. Okay. That means his 2021 salary, 2021 roster bonus, 2022 salary, 2022 roster bonus 2023 salary, 2023 roster bonus, all fully guaranteed on March 19th of this year. That's the mechanism. It's that these full, these injury guarantees become full two years early in many cases for Mahomes. There's a couple that, that, that wait for the year before, but many of this happens two years early. That is powerful. Okay, that is powerful stuff. He has a ton, of, he'll have 100, over 100 million of dead cap on March 19th, because of the fact that the next two years, 2021, 22, 23, are all completely fully guaranteed. Not just injury, fully, fully, fully guaranteed. And then there are injury guarantees down the road still. So there's a lot to look at with Mahomes. And if you just look at it at face value and you say, oh, it's only 63 million guaranteed at signing, you're thinking, this guy got royally screwed. But that's not the case. It's a combination of a little bit of money guaranteed at signing. Not that sixty-three million is a little bit of money, but in the grand scheme of four fifty, it certainly is a, you know, a small parcel. Sixty-three million fully guaranteed at signing. But these mechanisms allow future injury guarantees to vest much much quicker than the average NFL contract. So he's going to be just fine. Is my point here? Um, but this is like the poster child example of guaranteed at signing, not being what it looks like, because there's tons more coming, tons, tons more coming. So when you're evaluating a contract on SpotTrack, yes, look at the totals at the top. Look at the total value, the average salary, the signing bonus, all that stuff. It's all there for a reason. It's a metric that many people use for various reasons. But in Mahomes case specifically, and look, Van Noy, JJ Watt, you got to read the notes. You got to nerd it up and actually read some of the things that I've written, because they really do explain the timeline of how things happen. And and you'll be able to see, you know, if a, if a, if a 2022 salary vests fully guaranteed this March, that means that contract has some power in it. You know, that player is probably here or at least not releasable, right? He's still tradable on a guaranteed salary, but probably not releasable. If that's the case with a player you're identifying or you're evaluating, um, in this next couple of weeks, you know, cap casualties, things like that. So it, it's a big reason why I use the potential out because I'm, I'm sort of trying to help you identify where that line is, where things get weak enough for the team to be able to say, okay, the guaranteed that signing stuff is probably gone at this point. The, you know, there are some future guarantees that can vest injury guarantees that can convert to full if he's on a roster at a certain date or if certain things happen. But, they can get out before that happens. So that's generally how I draw my potential outline. Um, if you'll notice, Patrick Mahomes does not have a, a potential out <laughs> because, you know, there's not really a line that I can draw to say, hey, they can get out here and then they'll have to only have to pay him his next three salaries. That's not good for the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes is going to get out of this contract when he says it's time to get out of this contract. And I've said that before and I, I still believe it. You know, when he's 29, And he's played five years of this contract. He's probably on either. He's probably getting out of his contract at that point, or he's about to get out of his contract at this point. Okay. Uh, It's not going to be prior to that. Now, now look, there are some silly numbers, silly numbers in this contract. And I don't mean to turn this into a Mahomes conversation, but I mean, in 2027, when he's 32, he has $60 million of cash on his contract. So you want to talk about a situation that, you know, a team's having to make a decision. What if Mahomes says, I'm waiting until 2028. I want that $60 million paycheck in one year. What do the Chiefs do at that point? Because, <laughs> <Right? laughs> you know, Kelsey won't be there. Tyreek Hill won't be there. It's going to be a whole new iteration of the Kansas City Chiefs at that point. So it's very interesting, these long contracts, how they are going to have hills and valleys but looking at I, I, every time I look at this contract, I have to say that out loud that there is a there is a year in six years where Patrick Mahomes is slated to make sixty million dollars. and for whatever reason, however the league looks at that point, you know the chiefs are are going to be different. Patrick Mahomes is going to be different. The league better be different and the salary cap better be much different than where we are right now. But it's just something that I, I'm going to have to remind myself of because I'm not sure we're going to see many other contracts with that kind of number. Even with these four or five quarterback contracts that are about to lock in either this offseason or, or next, You know I'm not sure anybody's getting that kind of structure. We'll see. Maybe I'll be wrong with Josh Allen, but I'm not sure that that kind of number is going to exist in the NFL just yet. So hopefully this uh, uncovers some, some of the concerns or confusions you might have. Again, guaranteeing at signing, 99.9% set in stone, and it's what happens immediately as they sign it. They don't get that cash, right? They get the signing bonus up front. They don't get the future salaries up front. It just means that they would if they were released. They're going to get it no matter what. The practical guarantees include those mechanisms. So, hey, you know what? It's, it could be a two-year deal, but his third-year salary locks in year two, so he's probably getting that third-year salary too. And then there's injury guarantees, that have a chance to vest into full, for instance, JJ Watts $3 million in, the, in next year's salary. That's the separation. That's what, that's why Kyle Van Noy has 30 million of total guarantees, but only 15 fully guaranteed at signing. That's why he's walking away one year 15 million and not one year 30 million. He would have had to be on the roster March twenty first for that remaining fifteen million to convert from injury into full. And that's why Miami was able to move on. All right, that's a uh, nerdy little Thursday morning for you. Any questions, uh, you know, past that? Again, spottrek.com slash spots. We're starting to collect these kind of uh, little buzz articles here at Spottrek on Twitter. I'm happy to answer any more questions you have specific to a player or in general with these conversations. Let's talk some basketball. Keith Smith at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter, our kind of our guru guru throughout the season. Scott Allen as well. We're going to talk future trade deadline stuff all-star weekend coming up uh some buyout candidates some teams that are you know sitting with a ton of expiring money what happens to those teams specifically in the next couple of weeks how hard it is right now for teams to identify if they're buyers or sellers because if you look at the standings in the nba it's just a crunch i mean teams four through 12 are basically two games apart from each other in some of these instances so it's uh it's fun it's interesting it's tough to to kind of predict what's gonna happen. Keith is as close to this stuff as anybody could be. So Keith Smith, Scott Allen, a little NBA talk next. Welcome back to the show, Keith Smith, our NBA, really everything guru, joined by Scott Allen as well. Scott, I'll start with you. It's it's all-star week, (laughs) weekend-ish, which means the midpoint. Um, Look, this all-star is all about money. You've you've put a piece up quickly that kind of uh, discusses the compensation that certain, various players get for for joining this competition, playing in this competition. Um, the players aren't very pleased to be having this weekend for a lot of reasons. You know, the truncation truncation of the schedule, uh, the health risk to first to some degree. What kind of weekend are we about to see here? Is LeBron going to sit this thing out, and and is there going to be some sort of backlash here?
0: Mm, we may get a, uh, you know, I, I think we may get a lackluster game and into some instances effort in the game itself. Yeah. But maybe once they get into the game, you know, the, the competition will will ramp up and for what they'll... about four
1: minutes, right? Isn't it generally yeah, like the yeah, middle exactly. of the fourth quarter? It turns out.
0: <laughs> yeah. But I, I, you know, I, I think. There's a lot of talk beforehand and then once you actually get into the situation, you know, things may may ramp up a bit. Maybe I'm off base on that, but you know, that that's just my gut feeling.
1: See, I I like this weekend because it's become collusion weekend. <laughs> and Keith, I'm sure you can vouch for this as well. I mean, this is where super teams are created right here inside these locker rooms with these super teams already uh, kind of assembled. Uh, You know, it's not like teams are going to have cap space to burn next year. That's not how this league is going to operate right now. But, uh, you know, some of these some of these free agents, pending free agents and certainly something we'll be getting to Keith with over the next couple of weeks. Expiring contracts, players on the trade block, things like that. There's going to be some rumblings, some discussions had this weekend. So there is some importance to the players. But this is a league compensation weekend and there's really no other way to look at it. This is a TV show. There's a ton of television money and sponsorships built into these three events. um, And and it's going to happen whether they like it or not. Keith, I'm going to turn to you because it is getting closer here to trade season. We're about 20 days away from this deadline. I'm going to give you a couple of numbers here and and just to get your thoughts on where we might look in 2021. The past five in-season trade numbers. So starting the regular season up to the trade deadline. 2015, 16, 17 and 19 all had exactly 18 trades and 2018 for some reason had 29 trades. Uh, so clearly the average is 18 and 2018 was an anomaly. Where's 2021 going to fall?
2: Uh, I, I think on the lower end, I don't think we're going to see a, a big, you know, a massive trade deadline with a million uh, uh, guys moving around and things where you uh, remember that one year woach tweeted. Good Lord. <laughs> um, I, I don't think we're going to get one of those. <laughs> uh, I, I think the challenge this year is uh, the conferences are so condensed. Um, at the top of each conference, you've got a few teams that have separated themselves. Then the middle is, is pretty tight. And then you've got a bunch of teams that are right around the play in. And I think what's happening with the advent of the play in is some of those teams are teams that can kind of sell that forward. Is, hey, look! It's progress. We we made steps forward this year. We we you know you should feel good about our season and feel you know c- content with the progress we're making. And they're probably going to hang on to guys. Whereas in a normal year, if they hit the trade deadline and or a couple weeks out, and they were you know four or five games out of that last playoff spot, they're probably looking more towards all right, let's let's uh, you know start you know moving some pieces, maybe rebuild a little bit here on the fly and do those kind of things. they they're still. You know, even three weeks out, there's still very few sellers in, in the league. And that's, you know, in order for there to be buyers who want to get stuff done, there have to be sellers.
1: So so let's focus there quickly. And, and I'm not going to put you on the spot, really just kind of getting your, uh, your reflections of, of the league. You're right. It's crazy condensed. I mean, the 12th team could be the fourth team pretty quickly here in both of these conferences. Um, I, I ran a, a quick report that totals the expiring contracts – the cumulative expiring contracts on every single roster right now. Because for for a lot of reasons, this is kind of a a reflection of where that team may be. Uh, I mean, in terms of buying, selling, at least a consideration for acquiring draft picks, things like that. You know how this works. Um, Certainly in OKC, this has been the mantra for now about a decade. If I give you the the top five expiring contract teams in the NBA, just just your quick thoughts on, on maybe what they think they are right now at the midpoint of this season, San Antonio way up Chicago, Toronto, Houston, and Dallas. A couple of really polarizing teams in there. What are your thoughts on those five teams specifically?
2: Yeah, that's interesting. So uh, I'll start with Houston. They are definitely going to be a, a seller. They they are uh, open to moving basically anybody who's not Christian Wood on their roster at this point, they, they, they'll, they'll move guys. They'll, they'll uh, you know, even a guy they recently acquired, like Victor Oladipo, he recently turned down that contract extension. I think that makes it clear he's probably not coming back there. Uh, but everybody's got him pegged to a couple other destinations anyway, so they'll flip him, which is that's rare to see a guy you acquire in season, then trade it away, you know, just a month or two later. Uh, but, yeah, they'd be a seller. Um the Spurs, it, Spurs are weird. They never make in-season trades. It's like one in the last like 15 years or something like that. So it, a lot of people are thinking, you know, could DeRozan go? Could uh, LaMarcus Aldridge go? But San Antonio looks like they might actually be a playoff team. They're not a play-in team, but maybe even a playoff team. Uh, they, they may be, be able to stick in that top six. If not, they're probably going to be in a play-in mix. So I don't think you're going to see much out of them. Chicago is another one that they're one of those teams. They haven't had success in a while. So I expect them to stand pat for the most part. They'd move Otto Porter jr. If they could, but that's such a big uh, contract. That's probably more of a, maybe a buyout thing that could happen there. There are other guys are, are guys like Lori Markin who's going to be a restricted free agent. So that's tough. Dallas. What's interesting with Dallas is does Dallas uh, kind of use the pre-agency approach and make that big move. Now, Versus waiting for a free agency. Clearly, they were setting up to make a run at Giannis Antetokounmpo. He signed that extension. So now does Dallas say, "Well, what are we going to use our cap space on in the summer? Anyway, do we make a big trade now to supplement this roster, get the guy for the rest of this year, help us get in to the playoffs, and make a little playoff run, in and then build our team going forward?" That's the interesting one. Who was the fifth team?
1: Toronto. Who I, I I think maybe buyers Toronto. and sellers couldn't they?
2: yeah they definitely could be they they're in a really weird spot again like dallas they were gearing up to make that uh that big run in free agency this off season and that's not you know really could happen now it's kyle lowry there's been a lot of buzz around him but his, his number is just so big over 30 million that's really hard to move in season unless you're either taking um a big number back, that's probably not something Toronto really wants to do. Or you're taking several guys back, and that's hard to do just because of roster thoughts. But I think what you're going to see with the Raptors is Masai Ujiri, maybe more than any GM in the entire league, if he feels like, hey, there's an opportunity to go for it and it's going to make us better now or down the line, he'll he'll take that home run swing more than anybody else. He's got that kind of confidence.
0: Are we going to see Boston use that large exception that they have?
2: Boy, they better. The um, fans <laughs> might go absolutely nuts. Um, you know, I think what you might see is them use part of it. I don't know that they're going to use – I mean, using the entirety of it is hard anyway because they're hard caps, so they, they, they'd have to really kind of um, you know, work some stuff to, to use the entirety of that. But I think what you'll see is them use a big chunk of it to get a player who can come in and fit. Uh, Danny mm-hmm. he just talked about wanting shooting with size which is, um, do you know, he's very on the record with that, which is kind of rare how I mean, he hasn't said that. He is also on the record in his weekly radio appearances. I think we're about three or four weeks running, basically saying, yeah, this team's not good enough. We need more, which has not been his mantra the last several years. It's always, been, well, we'll try, but we like what we have. So, I think you're going to see them probably use part of it and then they'll roll the rest over and see you know hey, is there a way to use that in the off season to fill out the rest of this roster as you know some roster spots fill up but but they need to do something because the fan base is not going to be happy if they just sit tight.
1: You mentioned the buyout possibility for a porter and there's there's a couple of players out there that I think have have some legs for that i want to I want to focus on Andre Drummond real quick with you keith and I don't know if you've heard much about anything with him. Um, It seems like the trade offers will come in late, if any, for him uh, as they await what happens with Cleveland. Is there a chance that there's some gamesmanship with Andre Drummond, who is obviously linked to Brooklyn (laughs) as kind of the, you know, the, the big piece that can push them past Philadelphia for that long East conference? Does anybody come in and acquire Andre Drummond early to block that move, Keith?
2: Yeah, that would be interesting. I just don't think that's going to happen. It's, it's again, $28.75 That's a hard number to match for Drummond. And and if you're a team that's doing that, you need to, one, either believe, all right, this guy lifts us in the title contention, or um, he does that and we can resign him in the offseason and we're going to bring him back because you're going to have to give up something of quality. I think the Cavs are kind of done with the – uh, all right, we'll take your two or three bad or semi-bad contracts for the, this guy. Uh, you know, you'd know, you have to pay them kind of significantly to do so. So I think what is what this all seems heading towards, and I was just talking with somebody just this morning about Drummond, everybody is kind of just waiting for him to hit the buyout market. Hmm. And then it becomes, you know, which one of the LA teams or uh, Brooklyn does he go to? That's where everybody expects to ultimately land.
1: Man, so Cleveland just gets nothing. <laughs> that's
2: uh, yeah think about it they didn't really give up anything together that's true else. that's they, true they only gave up with a second round pick so minimal investment there
1: interesting how's that boston franchise looking sir i know you're, you're tightly close to it uh, uh, is danny ainge getting himself on a hot seat here I, I mean it just seems like the same same record being played for the last five years
2: yeah, this year it's not even being played with a team that's you know top three in the conference. It's, uh, it's being played with a team that's hovering right around 500. There's there's subsets of fans like there are in any city. There are fans who are, all right, this guy's had his chance, one championship in roughly 20 years. Get him out of here. It's time to move on. Uh, there's a whole group that lays all the blame at Brad Stevens. There's another group that, you know, which is led by some of the prominent TV people in Boston uh, lumping it all on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, which feels odd. Um, and then there's, you know, then there's the more reasonable people who are saying, well, you know, it's a really young bench, so of course they're going to be inconsistent, and the uh, the we haven't had Marcus Smart, Kemba Walker's just working himself back. Let's see what the second half brings. But overall, I think uh, what well, what you're gonna see is if they fall really short, if they're they're a first round out this year, I, I don't think Ainge and Stevens go anywhere, but I think that turns into the next year better be really, really good, or one or both are gonna have a lot of questions to answer.
0: As we start to get towards the back end of the season here there's been some talk of you know supermax candidates for extensions in the upcoming off seasons uh, you know and b jokic Doncic. Uh, i've seen some levine talk uh, out including them but are there other players that are right now playing for big money coming up in this off season?
2: Yeah. I mean, we, we have a couple who signed their rookie scale extensions that are looking to do the tier jump to, to the second tier max. Uh, so Jason Tatum, uh, Bam Adebayo did make the all-star game. So it's going to be a little bit harder for him, Donovan Mitchell. So those guys are hoping for all NBA nods, which will knock them up, uh, up a tier to that second tier. But then on that, 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 uh, you know, super max. Yeah. Of course, Lucas in the mix there. Um, a couple of guys were taken kind of off the board, like, like Giannis, you know, did, did his thing already, um, you know, with the box, but yeah, jo- Joel Embiid's another guy who's, you know, trying to position himself. Rudy Gobert signed his extension. So he he's fairly well locked in. So you've got a handful of guys who who are, are, are looking at, at, you know, where they're at, but it it's everything now is after Giannis signed his extension and all the, uh, best rookie scale players minus John Collins signed their extension. Everything there is kind of calmed down. We'll have about a one-year reprieve before we hear that all again. But we know like Luca, he's gonna sign the extension with all the qualifying language that says if you hit these triggers, you'll bump up to the next tier. We know that's coming. Um so that that's not a not not a big surprise for him. I, I think Trey Young probably signs a similar type deal. Uh, the rest of that draft class probably not. Um, I don't, th- I don't think anybody else has proven themselves to that level. Uh, now that I've said that there's, of course, someone on have completely forgotten, <laughs> but I, I think it's Luke, Luke and Trey for the most part are, are there.
0: Is there anyone that is going to not necessarily get to, you know, max money, but go from, you know, 2 million, 3 million and jump into the middle teens in twenties, like what like Duncan Robinson comes to mind or is is there someone else that sort of uh, jumps off the top of your head that you think could have a large increase but not necessarily max money
2: Yeah, you took the easy one off the board in Duncan Robinson. I think because he's, you know, arguably the elite shooter in the entire league. Yeah, you're, you're going to see him get paid significantly. He's only on 1.6 million dollars this year. He's going to get get heavily uh, paid this offseason by whether be by Miami, somebody else, or someone gives him an offer sheet and forces the Heat to match that. Another guy who's who's interesting because teams like his projection as either a starter or a six-man that makes very little money is Devontae Graham of the Charlotte Hornets. Mm-hmm. He's in the same exact situation as Robinson. Um, he's a guy that teams, you know, I think really like, and then, then out in the Western conference, Gary Trent jr. From the trailblazers, he's been starting while CJ McCollum's went out. He's not been at quite the level he was at in the bubble where it was, you know, all right, this guy's certainly going to get himself paid. Um, but he's still been, been pretty good. He's a two way wing, two way wings are always, you know, valuable in the league. So he's, he's again, same situation as Robinson and Graham. So he's going to get himself a nice payday this off season as well.
1: Yeah. The, the, the restricted market is actually really interesting to watch the second half of this season, because it is going to be a vice. I think a couple of teams at least attempt to use uh, maybe with an offer sheet. Mark, you mentioned marketing. He's got to be in that conversation. And I bet John Collins is as well from Atlanta that that Hawks team is a bit of a mess right now in terms of how it's constructed If the plan is definitely to max out Trey Young, which I don't know how they couldn't at this point, um, you know, I think some pieces will have to fall off that roster one way or another. So those are two names to watch. And then, of course, Lonzo. What the heck, you know, does this, does the league do with Lonzo Ball at this point? It just seems like they've tried everything. Uh, it, It seemed like he was on a pretty good path. He is averaging almost 15 a game and five assists. So it's, you know, he's, he's competent for sure. But if New Orleans has these mouths to feed over the next two years, I don't know how they keep Lonzo Ball in the fold here, right?
2: Yeah, it's it's going to be hard for them. They also have Josh Hart, who's also
1: up, yep. and
2: they love him as you know, kind of their their uh, you know six man energy guy coming off their bench. So that that those ones are going to be uh, you know really interesting to watch because I think John Collins. I think because there are going to be teams that have max cap space that are in the rest of the free agent market is kind of hint. Eh, As you look at it, it's just not very good. I think one of those teams is going to throw Colin the max offer sheet, because you always have to pay to to get a restricted free agent to change teams, but I think it'll be the max offer sheet, the player option on the end, the 15% trade bonus, the um, upfront actual payments, all all the stuff that makes the other team say, man, we got to match and give him all of this stuff, and the idea there is you're going to make the Hawks really swallow hard because of what you said about them getting paid, but then Then it gets really interesting because you you have Londo. The other thing with Londo is he started to shoot it better, um, which has always been kind of the question: is you know if he can shoot it, this guy you feel really confident about. So so I think it's going to get really interesting to see um, you know what ends up happening with those guys because in the normal year, teams go and spend all their money on the unrestricted guy, and then the restricted guys kind of get squeezed a little bit or they just go back to the to their own teams. I've even heard a couple agents who have suggested hey, maybe these guys will sign the qualifying offer, play it out, and hit the market next year when things might be a little more, uh, you know, a little better, things might feel feel a little, um, you know, different, from the amount ownership groups are willing to spend and the like, so if they go that direction now, that, that could be really interesting as well. I did. I want to go back to because I did miss one guy. Um, and I'd be remiss if I didn't. Um, from the guys who aren't making a lot, that I think is going to get himself a nice contract, and that's Bruce Brown Jr. from the Nets. Mm. Uh, I think you know he's not going to get twenty million or anything like that, but I think he's played himself into probably an eight to ten million dollar deal. Um, in that range, maybe somebody gives him the mid-level exception or something like that, because I think he's proven, you know, he, he can do a lot of things that help teams win games. And he's a guy who he can move the ball. He can shoot it just enough. I doesn't really need the ball on offense. So he fits with, with the team. I think he's somebody the Nets really want to make sure that they hang on to around their big three.
1: I like it. I really like John Collins to Dallas as well. I think Dallas could be that team that could try to poach. We'll see. Good stuff.
2: Yeah, I like John Collins to Dallas or to uh, San Antonio. Uh, I think him mm. with those uh, all those young uh, wings and guards that they have, I, I think he would really fit in well. And that kind of uh, parallels uh, on a little bit of a younger trajectory, but almost parallels when they went and got uh, LaMarcus Aldridge to kind of give that big around, around the wings that they had and move things forward that way. So th- those are the two teams I've got my eyes on for Collins that could, I think, very clearly throw him a max offer sheet.
0: Let's go to the back end of the roster real quick. You know, the two-way contracts, the, the league had expanded those rules from having them on the roster for 45 days. They increased it to 50 games, and now there's even rumor coming out that they're looking to even loosen those rules a little bit more going into the playoffs. From the games that you've watched and the games that you've tracked statistically, are, are teams taking advantage of these two-way players and then? getting playing time but not counting against the cap
2: uh, there, there are a handful that are playing um, somewhat regularly I, I would say they're very almost across the entire league they are all um, p- for the most part active just about every game it's only been with the uh, bubble the gobble the starting that we even saw some of those teams um, push those guys uh, you know down a little bit further and say all right go go down to the to the G League bubble, and and you're gonna play down there, and then then we'll we'll figure it out when you get back. But yeah, there, there's a couple teams. Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, they've gotten a lot out of Lamar Stevens. Um, has played quite quite a bit for them. Um, so you're year uh, the the Warriors, Juan Toscano Anderson has played a ton for them. And and had they not done this change which hasn't been officially announced and, and approved of, all right, we're gonna, you know, make it unlimited for this year and they'll be playoff eligible. I think you would have seen it get um Toscano Anderson would have had to have been a guy the Warriors would have had to convert. And to do that, they probably would have had to waived like Marquise Chris or somebody like that who who is expiring. Um, Amir Coffey has been in and out of the Clippers rotation. Uh, Kyle Guy with the Kings. Uh, the, the, the Magic have had Chase and Randall in there because every other point guard on the team is hurt uh, this season. So they, they've had to uh, use their two-way guy um, there quite a bit. Garrison Matthews is a two-way player for the Wizards and he's starting uh, for them so that gives you a sense for them and then Gabe Vincent from the Miami Heat has also been uh, playing pretty significant minutes so I think these teams y'all are very very happy I don't think I know they are very very happy to see these uh, restrictions lifted they wanted a third spot the Players Association said no, give us a regular roster spot, right? Because they want their guys taken care of. They want their veteran guys to get a chance. They want to get them paid. But ultimately, in the end, they compromised and said, "All right, let's just lift these restrictions, and they're going to the opt to pay for the two- way guys if they're used past those fifty games. So I think everybody kind of wins here.
0: So do you think that going outside of this season that the league may just adopt this expansion of the two-way player instead of going back to the original or, um, have you heard one way or another?
2: Yeah, they'll get a hard fight from the players association on that. Cause the agents do not want, um, the two way players to be expanded. They didn't really even like the, um, when they changed it from 45 days and took away the, uh, practice or the travel portion of it, they, 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 cause what they want is, Hey, if a guy hits on a two way, we want to force your hand into all right you've used up your days you need to convert them and get them onto a regular contract that's where they want their guys so they want to go that direction i I think you're going to see see it get get more interesting what i do think the long-term vision is get 30 g league franchises in place uh one for each team where every team has their own and then i think you'll see the two-way deals start to change a little bit i think you'll see the rules change maybe mimic major league baseball a little bit more where you have you know, a number of times per season or something where you can send a guy up and down. I know baseball is different because the options are, you know, only so many times in a career and the like, but I think that's what you're going to see is once there are, you know, an affiliate for each team has their own individual affiliate, then I think you'll see it uh, progress into much more of a true minor league. I think at that point you may even see them add rounds to the NBA draft where they look at it and say, you know, hey, these uh, you know, last you know two rounds of the draft or something are only uh, you know, two-way players or players who have to spend at least a year in the G League or something along those lines.
1: I love that. I hope it gets to that point soon. I think that would be very, very good for the league. Not great for college basketball, but pretty good for the league. Um, it's necessary at this point. Keith, great stuff. Let's get you out of here on this. Let's go around the room. Who is your current MVP right now? Keith, we'll start with you.
2: Yeah, I'm going to go with Joel Embiid. I think he's been absolutely a monster this year, and just uh, last night on uh, Wednesday night, he really dominated Rudy Gobert. Um, had some really, really pointed comments toward the media after that game about you know why he uh, you know did what he did last night. But I think indeed you got him to tell the real story. I think he was pretty embarrassed that they got swept last season in the playoffs, and I, I'm betting he came out and said, "This is never going to happen to me again." he came back. Uh, I always want to say rededicated, but I think dedicated to getting into real shape for the first time, He's playing deeper in the games. He's more dominant, deeper in the game. Uh, I'm going to give it to Joel Embiid. No, no knock against LeBron James or Nikola Jokic or anything, but for me, it's Embiid.
0: Scott. Yeah. Keith stole my answer. I'm going Joel Embiid. Oh style. man.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's hard not to, I mean, especially with, with recency bias after seeing that, that, that Utah game, I'm still going to give it to LeBron. I just think the narrative will be there, you know. If he continues down this path, I don't think it's good for him to be doing what he's doing, like physically trying to win the MVP. There's no question that's what he's doing right now. But um, if he's trying this hard, people are going to have to take notice at the end of the season. I don't know if Embiid can do this for 72 games. We haven't seen him do it ever for a full season. He's certainly, I think, right now in a snapshot, it's Embiid. But I'm still going to give it to LeBron at the end of the day because he's actually trying for it. So why not at least root for that? Guys, good stuff as usual. Uh, there's plenty to come. We're about, like I said, about 20 days away from the actual deadline. So Keith will be hearing more from you sh- soon, I'm sure. Great work from all of you guys. Thanks.
2: Thank you. Thank-
1: all right. My thanks to Keith Smith. He is at Keith Smith MBA on Twitter, an outstanding follow in season and out of season. But really, a great addition to our team here in terms of the NBA facts and figures. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash track. Get yourself 40% off your first year subscription. Plenty to read there on the app, on the website, wherever you get your sports fix. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Giannetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.